morning, South, and thank you for tuning in wherever you're coming from this morning and making it a priority to spend time with us as we open up God's Word and continue our series called Under the Radar, as we discover some of the more obscure stories or character studies within the scriptures. I'm Yvonne Beal, our Connections and Growth Pastor, and I'd love to begin today by telling you a story that I heard when I was a little girl. This was a story about a very brave man. Once upon a time, there was a people that God chose to be his own, and, and those people were in trouble. They were so in trouble that they called out to God for help and for rescue, and God listened. He listened to them, and he decided that he would send them someone who would come to deliver them. And this man, his name was Gideon. Gideon was a mighty man of God because God chose him to be the next judge of Israel and to lead them into deliverance. You see, in his mightiness and his bravery, he was clothed with God's spirit and he led the people of Israel into battle against the Midianites. But this wasn't just any battle. They brought with them horns and jars and torches. And without any weapons, they were able to conquer and put this entire camp into panic so that God would have the victory. And through one simple cry of, for the Lord and for Gideon, they were able to be victorious. And the same is true with us, that if we are also brave, that we're clothed with God's spirit, and he empowers us to go and conquer his battles, we too can be brave heroes like Gideon. This was a story that I heard as a little girl, and, and it pulled out all of the beautiful, good moments in the life of Gideon. But as I was getting ready to prepare this message for all of you, I started rereading this story of Gideon as an adult. And I've been wrestling with his story because every part of his story and every turn of event I see one theme. This theme is not his bravery or his faith or that he was mighty and victorious. The theme is fear. Gideon was very afraid. He was afraid of his enemies. He was afraid that he could trust God. And he had so much doubt and fear around stepping out in trust. He was also incredibly afraid for his own reputation, and so many moments in his journey were filled with his ego saying, ooh, what are these people going to think of me? And he was frozen to do the will of God when when his reputation was of such concern to him. And so as I was wrestling with what to share, I feel like I would share that Gideon is flawed. He's not brave and mighty. He's full of cowardice and cynicism 
and doubt and insecurity. And I could go on and on all around this issue of fear. But isn't that the beauty of story? That stories are not just to suck out all the good from a character and make ourselves in alignment to all their goodness. And it's not to just highlight and glamorize their flaws and their weakness and make them the opposite or the anti-example of what we don't want to be. And so today, as we dive into another narrative story, I want to invite you into the beauty of story. So this is not going to end up in math class where A plus B equals C and the equations are prescriptive into our life. Instead, we're going to enter English class where we are going to get a full range of drama and emotion and heartache and, and a whole bunch of things all at the same time. Because isn't that the moment that we're in right now? In the midst of these waves of chaos and confusion coming at us from the health and safety of our world, from the political angle and from the relational angle and from our financial angle and economically, we are thrown into this big drama and mess where it's not that we have these prescriptions that can get us through this season. It looks incredibly more like an integrated story, one that's full of emotions that are paradoxical in the moment. You see, we feel fear at the same time that we want to believe and have faith. We feel alone at the same time that we feel together. We feel sadness and loss at the same time that we might feel joy and happiness in, in this time. And it reminds me of that movie Inside Out, where all the different emotions exist on their own, but when they come together in full story, they show up in a full spectrum of color. And that's the kind of story that we enter into today. And so let me invite you as we look at, at this story, one, let's look for the theme. A theme that has been a common theme in our world today, this faith and fear, and how do they intermix? Another point that we can make when it comes to narrative is we can actually find ourselves in the midst of that colorful array. And so today, as we look at four moments in the life of Gideon, I'm going to invite you to see if maybe the Lord might prick your heart and start to illuminate that maybe you're in that story too. Maybe metaphorically in those places or in those key moments. And so as we dive in, let's open our hearts and our wills and our minds to the Lord and allow him to show us where we could find ourselves in the story. And let him share some truth to us today. So let's pray and open our hearts today. Father God, we ask that you would use this experience as we read your word. 
to connect deeply with the story of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to just be perfect and have a perfectly lived out story, but we can enter into this story because it's a living story. Help us to hear your voice today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we find our story in Judges chapter 6, so I'm going to invite you to turn there. And as you turn there, let, let me remind you where we're, we are in the matter of the big story. In the big story, we know that God of the universe has created these amazing little human beings, and he has specifically called and chosen a people to be his very own. He loved them so much that he made a covenant with them. And a part of that covenant was that they would become uh, big. They would multiply. And the more that they would become big and their name would become great, the greater that the name of God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would become. And a part of this covenant was also a promise that they would actually receive a piece of land, a piece of property where they could live and dwell. And this became known as the promised land. And we know that their story had so many ups and downs and ins and outs, and they found themselves in captivity until God chose at the right time to send Moses a deliverer to walk them into a journey of faith in the wilderness until he was able to walk them into that promised land. And when they got to the promised land, they found that there were other land dwellers. And those land dwellers were worshiping other gods. And they had established divine spaces and temples and altars to other gods. And they had created holds of strength and power and divinity within that land. And so God's invitation to them was to walk in his way, was to listen to his voice, and to obey when he said to take over those divine entities. And here we are in the middle of Judges, and we have seen that Joshua, their leader, who first helped them enter that land of Israel, and that promised land is now gone. And they find themselves in a cycle where they're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. In chapter 6, we see that the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And because of that, the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian. They find themselves in distress, and this time for seven years. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves for the dens. They made dens in the mountains and the caves and strongholds. For when the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and Amalekites and the people of the east, all these land dwellers that were a bit more nomadic would come in and they would camp against them, devouring the produce, taking their sheep, their oxen, their donkey, their livestock, their tents. It was like locusts as they came into that space and they laid waste the land. Israel was brought very, very low because of Midian. 
and they find themselves in a place of distress. They were walking in their own ways. They find them place of distress. And this time, instead of going to the other gods, instead of continuing to walk in their way and not finding deliverance, they turn to the God of Israel. And they cried out for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It is I who led you up out of Egypt, who brought you out of the house of slavery and delivered you into the hands of Egypt, delivered you from the hands of Egypt and from the hands of all who oppressed you. It is I that drove them out before you and gave you their land. This is the God, the God who's giving them authority and power over these other land dwellers and their gods. He says, I am the Lord your God. You do not need to fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So here we are in this first moment where we find Israel and I'm sure Gideon in the caves. And in the midst of those caves, they're, they're trying to create some type of strength, some type of barrier, some type of way of sheltering in place to maintain safety and security and the hope of their own survival. Maybe today you find yourselves in the cave. You find yourself freaking out at the world around you and all the enemies that seem to be coming in like locusts and devouring your safety and your security and your hope and your control. And maybe today you find yourself ready to ask the Lord for some deliverance from that place. Maybe you're ready to come down on your knees and say, God, help me. I feel stuck. I feel alone in the midst of these caves, and I need you. And here today, maybe you need to hear that when you cry out for help, that the Lord heard them. When they cried out, then the Lord sent them a messenger. He sent them a prophet. And it seems that God was ready for them. That God was ready to take those fearful characters and interrupt their cycle when they were ready to do so. And maybe God's ready to interrupt your cycle. And he's ready to invite you into deliverance. But often that first step of deliverance is, is agreeing with him that, wow, we have not been listening to his voice. We've not been walking in his way. And maybe there are some things for you, if you're in the cave, that you can say, God, I want to agree with you. And I want your help to find that place of deliverance. 
Because it's in that place where Israel starts to open up and ready to let God interrupt their cycle where we meet Gideon. Now in this next moment, we find Gideon in a wine press. Now the angel of the Lord came, a messenger of God sat down under the terebinth, the tree at Orpha, which belonged to Joash, the Abrajite, while his son Gideon was beating wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am least in my father's household. But... The Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Here we first meet Gideon in the wine press. And maybe you today find yourself feeling like Gideon. You're freaking out that there are enemies around you and you're worried for your own survival and your own security, that you're trying to find ways to figure out how to do it on your own. You see, if you imagine Gideon, he's in the cave and he's feeling much like all the rest of Israel, deathly afraid of these Midianites and the gypsy looters and the rioters. And he's trying to find ways that he can protect his family. He can survive and, and get the wheat that he needs for, for the rest of his, his tribe to survive. And so he goes down and sneaks down to this wine press. And instead of going out to the mountain top where it would be easy to uh, actually harvest the wheat and allow the chaff to blow away in the wind, he has put the chaff and the wheat all in this wine press. And now he has to work doubly hard to find those morsels of wheat and take them out for his own survival. And maybe you find yourself in this season working doubly hard. And in that place, you're noticing that there is a narrative that God has forsaken you. That who, how in the world is he going to fix this situation? Where are those wonderful deeds that you once saw him do? And who in the world are you to have any bit of a difference during this time? There's a big narrative that's happening in Gideon's head. And in the midst of his fear of his enemies, his fear of his own reputation and fear of God, 
the Lord, the angel of the Lord comes to him, a messenger of God comes to him and says, the Lord is with you. Maybe I need to be the messenger of the Lord today. And I need to come to you and say, the Lord is with you. And the Lord is for you. You have been created in the image of God and with all of the power and beauty that he's made you to be, that he is for you. Although today you may feel like a fearful character, he's coming toward you and saying he is for you. And he promises to be with you in the midst of whatever you're going through. I think many of us need to hear that day after day because we often find ourselves in the wine press with a, a narrative that goes on and on and keeps us entrapped and defeated. But the story doesn't end there. And Gideon says to this angel of the Lord, he says, now that I have found favor with you and in your eyes, would you please show me a sign that it is you who speak with me? Please do not depart from here until I come and bring you my present and set it before you. And the angel of the Lord said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went to the house and he prepared a young goat and unleavened bread with an ephith of flour and the meat he put in a basket and the broth in a pot and he brought it all under the terebinth and presented it to the angel of the Lord. And there the angel said, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put it on this rock. I want you to pour the broth over it. And so Gideon did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and unleavened cakes. In an instant, fire sprang from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened cakes and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. This is a wonderful story and we often feel like those kind of crazy, miraculous moments don't happen in our day and age, but maybe we need to find ourselves in, the, in a need to ask God for a sign. In this moment of a little ounce of courage that Gideon has, he asks the Lord for a sign. And this would have been a very common practice within his culture and within the, the land of Israel because many of the other tribes would set out signs to their divine deities. And they would wait for those, those offerings and sacrifice to be consumed in order to know that that divine deity was going to come through for them. And so this was the sign. He used a common cultural practice to say, can I trust you? And the Lord graciously allowed this angel of the Lord, this messenger from him, to show him that he could be trusted. And maybe you need to hear today as maybe God has broken down some of your trust and you don't know if you can lean on him. You don't know if taking a step forward and walking in his way is really going to have the type of 
end in mind that that might be good for you. And maybe you're doubting that you can trust God and that fear that you're experiencing is around, can I trust you, God? Maybe the invitation is to take that step forward and to hear the messenger of God say, I will stay until you return. I'm not going anywhere. And God is welcoming you to experiment with trusting with him because he's not going anywhere. I love this beautiful moment as he's asking for the sign, but the story gets even better because Gideon perceived that this man was an angel of the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh God, the God who is above all the other gods. And in true Gideon form, he says, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord, this time, the Lord himself said to Gideon, Peace be with you. Do not fear, for you shall not die. In this beautiful moment, God comes and he proclaims peace over Gideon's fear. And he says, Do not fear. Do you know, do not fear is something that the Lord says repeatedly. It's perhaps the most repeated command in all of Scripture, over 366 times in Scripture. Do not fear. And remember, at the very beginning, he said, you have not listened and obeyed my voice. You don't need to fear the God in the land. Fear, fear, fear. Do you see this theme over and over again? And here, really what they want is peace. And the Lord is peace. That's exactly what Gideon called the name of the altar that he built to the Lord here. The Lord built, or sorry, Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, called it the Lord is peace. And to the, this day, it stands and belongs to the Azerbites. And that night, the Lord came to Gideon and said, Take your father's bull and the bull, the second bull, seven years old. Put it on an altar that your, that your father has. But cut down the Asherah pole beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order and then take that second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you cut down. So Gideon, he took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And the men of the town rose early in the morning, and behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it cut down. And the second bull was offered on that altar. And they said, Who has done this thing? 
And they searched and inquired and found that Gideon, the son of Joash, had done that thing. So the men of the town said to Joash, All right, bring out your son that he may die because he's broken down the altar of Baal and he's cut down the Ashereth beside it. But Joash, he says, Well, will not Baal contend for himself? Or will you save this God? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. But if he is a God, then let him contend for himself because his altar was broken down. Behold, on this day, Gideon was called Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. And here we see Gideon at the altar. And maybe today you're noticing that there are some fears in your own life. Like Gideon, maybe you're afraid of an enemy. You're afraid of putting your full and 100% trust in God. Or maybe you're super afraid that if you start to live out God's way, that other people are going to make fun of you, maybe mock you, maybe reject you. And so there's hesitation around doing things God's way. But here, in the midst of his painful fear, and so he does it at night, he does take that courage to do what God said and to build an altar to the Lord God on top of the stronghold here. You see, Baal was a God that was worshipped in many of these other tribes and land dwellers. He was a God that was all about control and power. And Ashereth was a God all about family security and fertility and, and the expansion of, of their life and their flourishing. And these two things, control and security, are both things that we feel fear around right now. We're afraid that we can't control what people think of us. We can't control what's happening around us. And, and we're tossed a, about in the fear and waves of the world. Or we, we really just want security and we want safety and we want to make sure that everything is just the way that it is and maybe an American dream kind of way. And yet, both of these can become holds on us. Because if we fear the fact that, that the enemy is coming to take us, and this fear is so interestingly connected with worship. Because what we fear starts to control us. And what we allow to control us is absolutely what we worship and bow down to. So if we are following and we're fearing the fact that we are out of control, that fear may turn into the very thing that controls us. And maybe we need to realize that we have some strong holds on these things. 
based on the fact that we are freaking out and we are afraid of them. And the enemy loves to use fear to twist our worship toward him. You see, the enemy uses this in the same story as we see with Jesus in the middle of the wilderness. And we see him coming to Jesus and saying, aren't you afraid that you're going to die if you don't get the nourishment and bread that your body needs? If I can get you to fear for your own safety and security, well, maybe, just maybe, you'll worship me. But Jesus, he doesn't let the enemy get his fear. Instead, he flips the story. And this is exactly what God is flipping the story here. Because he uses fear to fight fear. What do I mean by that? You see, the enemy is put into his place when he knows who has the ultimate and true authority. And so when Gideon comes and he sets an altar and builds this worship to God on top of the stronghold, he says, no, I come with the authority of the God of all gods, the king of all kings, the prince of peace. And he takes over that place of fear. The very thing that he was afraid of, he takes over by sending them into fear. You see, that's exactly how the rest of this story goes on because God invites Gideon to surround the Midianites and to send them into a panic because they're afraid of these sound waves of the horns blowing and the jars crashing and it sends them into a panic in the middle of the night and he's able to fight fear with fear. When we have fear rising up in us and we're realizing that those fears of the what-ifs and the what, what's coming next are rooted in the future. But what is happening in the reality of our present is that the God of all gods can put them into place. And so as I'm reading this story and I'm finding myself at the altar, invited to build a stronghold of God's worship on top of the stronghold of fear in our lives. The invitation is not just to go toe-to-toe with the enemy and, and try to get around that type of fear by using our own words, but by using the sound waves of God's authoritative word. And that's where I would love to land today. I know that you might be finding yourselves in the caves, needing to take that first step of deliverance, which is repentance, Maybe you need, you find yourself in that wine press, afraid and filled with this narrative of defeat. Maybe you find yourself starting to want to trust God and needing some signs or needing him to prove himself and exploring that journey. But with all of us, 
at some point in our journey, we will find ourselves at the altar. We'll find ourselves at the altar of our fears, worshiping these other gods. And the invitation is that in the midst of that, we turn our fear to fear and revere God himself. And by using the authoritative words of Scripture, we could go to battle with the enemy and send the enemy into his terror and chaos of fear. So today, I would love us to use these words from Romans chapter 8 to fight fear with fear. Because it says in Romans 8 that, what shall I say to these things around us? What shall I say to my fear? If God be for us, if he is for us and he comes to us and he is with us, well, who's against us? When we have the authority and power of the God of all the other gods, what can separate us from the love of God, he says? Nothing. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not a virus, not political tension, not relational tension, not famine, not nakedness, not danger or sword. No. In all of these things, the true enemy is the evil one. And the true victor allows us to also be conquerors through him who loves us, who wants a covenant relationship with us. And we are sure today and forever, tomorrow and the day after that, that neither death nor life, no angels, no demons, no things present nor things to come, nor any kind of power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And this love and this relationship that he invites us into is a relationship with the God above all the other gods. And that relationship is not a relationship of fear. It's a relationship of love. Because fear has to do with punishment, it says in, in James, but, or in 1 John. But perfect love casts out our fear. So we have a God who loves us, who is for us, who is with us, who will remain with us throughout our journey of faith and fear. And he wants to disrupt our cycles of fear to use that fear to flip the enemy on its head and to use God's word to fight fear with fear. Would you do that with us together today as Aaron leads us in this song? And let's fight fear with fear with the power of God's word. Let's sing.